On this episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, part three of the Teacher of the Year Roundtable, featuring Bernie Najar and Trillium Rose. Najar is a two-time MAPGA Teacher of the Year, ranked by Golf Digest on the Top 50 Teachers in America list, and Director of Instruction at Kays Valley Golf Club in Maryland. Rose, the 2017 MAPGA Teacher of the Year, is also ranked by Golf Digest in the Top 50 in America and is the Director of Instruction at Woodmont Country Club in Rockville, Maryland. In this episode, three Teachers of the Year take a trip across golf instruction to help the everyday golfer. We discuss the difficult quest for more distance, the struggle for most golfers to break 80, and the pros and cons of the explosion in indoor golf practice. All this, plus some major lessons learned out on the lesson tee, make this an episode you don't want to miss. It's the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo, right now. Well, welcome into the Driving Improvement Podcast, everybody, and I am very happy to be back behind the mic for the first time in a while, get my act together here, and I brought the heavy hitters out for uh, for my return to the podcasting world. Uh, Trillium Rose and Bernie Najar are with me today for some fun discussions. How are you both? Great. Doing well. Good, good. It's great to have you both with me. So, uh, Trill, start with you. I mean, uh, what's the... Uh, it's a little chilly here these days right now. This is winter time for us, but what's the status of uh, business and, and family and everything good for you? Everything's everything's good. I couldn't believe it. Yesterday or, uh, or a couple of days ago, sometime this week, we had we had 15 hours of lessons booked during the coldest day of the year. And nobody flinched. I think I had, I had a lineup of five in a row and I, one person. And it's because he was booked at 9 a.m., which was it was like eight degrees. Yeah. He opted out, which I was completely in support of. But, yes, yeah, so things are good. You know, I like the snow. You know I like the snow. I like, yeah. I like snow sports in general. I like all sports. But, you know, there's always a sport to be played. That's great. Bernie, how about you? We, we got – Congratulations on the, the recent nuptials. And then uh, it looks like you've been doing a lot of work on your golf game, too, uh, in your little uh, indoor man cave there. Yeah, thank you. I'm very lucky to uh, get married last October. I got a great uh, wife and stepdaughter now. So I've got a whole new world that uh, is going well. And yeah, I've been getting some practice in and having some fun in my indoor studio and also a caves. So I saw the I saw one of the postings. Did I see you hit 120 on the on the miles per hour? I did. Yeah, that was a crazy day. And Kyle Berkshire, one of my students, at the start of uh, 21, told me I need to get to 118. And I was running out of time. And I did push through 118 last October. But I thought, let me just try to push it one more notch because he was telling me, look, now you got to get 125 next year. And so as a head start for that, I wanted to try to get to 20 and I was able to do it. But I I did it at my friend's indoor facility, uh, Wade Heinzelman over at the golf care center. Mm -hmm. And the back of his mat is almost like swinging on ice because there's no traction on the back of it. So I literally did a 360 or at least it felt that way on my finish. I couldn't slow the club down. So that's when you know you've reached a new speed level. There you go. Oh, well, good for you, man. That's awesome. 
Uh, I, you know, we talked. Can I ask you a question about that, Bernie? Do you mind? Sure. Mark, just jumping. So it's Bernie. It's I mean, with all disrespect, it's not like you're 18 years old working on speed, right? You know, correct. You, yeah, you I'm just turned like 50. Early middle age. Yeah. <laughs> and here you are working on speed, and I feel like there's just so many people that want speed, but don't have that young back and the young body. So I, would you mind unpacking how you did it? Well, the answer to your question, it's going to come from a couple different things. One, to be forthcoming about my practice, I had a stretch where I didn't do a lot of practice, like a lot of us teaching. You get busy, you're not taking care of your game because you're putting everybody else in front of you. And I lost a bunch of speed from probably the age of 38 to 48, or I should say not to 48, 38 to 47 ish. And then I had my reality moment where I decided I don't want to be struggling to hit certain shots. And it's not that my swing didn't have the look, but it didn't have enough speed and to generate speed, you need power. And power is going to come back to what you're doing in the gym and also your ability to handle going fast. And not everybody can do it, but I've got a pretty good sports background before golf where I played a lot of tennis and I could hit the ball pretty hard on the tennis court. I think that's a big piece of me being able to go fast. In my early 30s, I had plenty of speed at the time. We didn't have track man and all that good stuff, but I did have a launch monitor. But I'm faster today than I was then. And a lot of it is just, you know, I've got a lot of young juniors that we have some games and I don't want to be outdriven by them. Or let's just say I don't want them blowing up past me when they get to college. So I've been motivated by my students and, and doing some cool stuff outside of golf to help with it. Because it, it's not just, hey, let me go swing fast, because that's a misnomer. You can swing. I mean, you'll see. And I know you use speed sticks, Trill, and, and Mark, I'm sure you do too, or Sasha McKenzie's product. It's mm -hmm. great to swing those above the ground and, and work on speed, but you still got to hit the golf ball mm -hmm. uh, and get used to that collision. And you have to make solid contact. I mean, the, the unusual thing about Kyle Berkshire, he hits the ball in the center of the face almost every time. I just had Justin James in, and Justin's won the World Long Drive Championship in 2017 one of the top five in the world, but his impact point's not as good as Kyle's. So even though they're going at the same speed some of the time, Kyle's still going to beat him off solid contact. So uh, luckily, a lot of the work I've done in my golf swings helped me improve my impact point, the consistency of it, and then getting in the gym, doing the right exercises, making sure you're eating right, and understanding speed training. You might do it twice a week. If you try to do it more than that, you better be an animal in the gym because <laughs> the recovery, I can tell you when I hit that ball at 120, my right index finger was not happy with me for about 10 days because mm. I've never hit a ball that hard. Now, the other piece I'll tell you, Kyle has me hitting AMT balls when I'm with him, and those are like hitting rocks, but he claims that's going to make my hands stronger as he laughs yeah. at me. <laughs> so there's a lot of banter. And if you're trying to work on speed, you need to have, you know, it's good. It's, it's like working out in the gym. It's fun to do it with other people. So, you know, try to team up, but um, power is really important and you got to have good breaks. If you don't have good breaks, 
and you're going fast, it can get dangerous. So I know I went around a bunch of different topics, but my point would be to anybody trying to hit the ball longer. Yeah. Trill? I keep coming back to working out. And I think in your Mm -hmm. 40s, in your your 50s, in your 60s, I think, you know, use it or lose it. If you're not working out, you're not going to gain, that's for sure. And you may not even keep it. I'm talking about just muscle mass. So Mm -hmm. I, I think... You know, I think when we talk about speed, I just I worry that that listeners don't have the body yet that's ready to even start start working on speed. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Trill, I, I think it's a it's a it's a good point and something we get we need to address. I mean, I I have students talk, and we've all, we have those students all the time, right? Like they club head speed, they want to hit it further, and that's obviously the chase for distance is a big deal now, but one of the things we have to discuss with them and I'm, I'm interested in, you know, your thoughts on this, either one of you is, you know, again, like you said, they, they have to be physically able to slow the club down um, or they're never, they're only get, we're only going to lead them into an injury area. Um, so I, I, you know, Trill, you can take that first, but I, I think it, it's an important thing to discuss. It's not just magic. It's not like, okay, just put the effort in and you'll get it. Well, your body has to, has to be able to handle it. You got to be able to build up to it. Yeah, I I do know, you know, we all know from experience, if you're playing a lot of golf, that helps. It helps because you're keeping those muscles active, the muscles that you need in golf. But if you're trying to push yourself past that and you're trying to and you're trying to really increase, increase your speed, how can you do it if you don't have this, if you don't have the strength to do it? So and then and then the question is, okay, well, which muscles are fast, you know? bench pressing is not going to make you faster. So there's a whole slew of stuff out there that I don't think is helpful in terms of, Oh, I'm just going to go look up what to do to work out. You still want to be sinewy and, and, and flexible, but the right muscle groups need to be fast. And then the right types of exercises need to be applied. You know? Well, I mean, it goes to, I mean, it, it, essentially what you're saying is it, it goes to the same level of thinking that a lot of our students need to do when it comes to taking advice, right, about their golf swing. It's like, do you go to somebody who's qualified uh, or do you just want to take it from the guy in the next stall over? So if you do that with the physical stuff as you're trying to go faster, I think, you know, we're, we're pretty much certainly going to head for some type of an injury. So, and Bernie, I, one thing you said caught my attention there I, uh, that I want to ask you about you mentioned how Kyle hits it solid. So what's your take on speed training independently of quality mechanics and center contact? Yeah, that's a great point. I would tell you, we have a member who I'll keep nameless, who (laughs) trains very regularly in the gym. And then he asked me about speed sticks. And this is a gentleman who doesn't take lessons and that's perfectly fine with me. But He's been curious about gaining speed and he decided to try the speed stick program. And I've seen him from a few hitting stations over at our performance center, working diligently on it and trying to do it. And he's a classic example in my mind of why uh, it won't translate because he's just flailing away at it with no regard for impact and obviously impact is happening for just this little tiny bit of time and we're not trying to line the club up exactly there you're flowing through it but hitting golf balls and having the coordination to put the 
the strike on the ball is something you have to have. Uh, but going back to the gym, you know, if you think about power, you got to find where the weakness is on the player. Now you could you could look at someone and say, all right, you know, let's see you do a chest pass. Let's see you jump. Let's see you do a core exercise where we're going to challenge your ability to support your body in a certain motion, add some rotation to it. Very quickly, you're going to find where they're weak. And almost across the board, every now I'll pick on the guys for a moment. Most guys don't do enough leg work. They do a ton of upper body work. They push a lot more than they pull. That's a problem. And you need both sides of it. The ladies love working on their mobility. They love yoga, but it's probably not the best way for them to hit it longer because they're on the other side of the equation. They don't have much upper body strength. And I'm, I don't think I'm saying anything unusual, right, Trill? I mean, no, would I'm, you say? No, I'm nodding over here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you look at long hitters for the most part, they're outliers. You got John Rahm, who's got a very short backswing. Tony Finau, very short backswing. But mostly longer hitters have longer backswings. Well, how are you going to get the arms up if your shoulders can't move them up? And so, so many people have shoulder impingements. They're sitting in their car or on the computer like we are right now, and you're stuck in flexion. So if you want to get your arms up, you better start doing some exercises to get them up. There we go. Mm. Uh, get them up. You know, make sure you can backward bend because if you can't get out of flexion, it's hard to go fast. That's a big deal. And I'm living proof of that. I had a double hernia repair in 2009. My swing before that with a driver was always past parallel. And all of a sudden I couldn't get to parallel. And I found this amazing physical therapist that helped me break up the scar tissue. And over time I was able to regain a lot of mobility. And then you couple that with getting stronger, that all helps it. So you got to take care of your parts, but you have to understand where to go because so many people, they go to the gym. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go ride the Peloton for an hour. Great. But did you do any rotation while you're riding the Peloton? You're strong mm -hmm. going straight ahead. Stuck in flexion. Good luck yeah. hitting the ball like that. So yeah. you got to make sure you're, you're – I find most players, if I point out to them just discreetly doing a couple screens, hey, let's have you do these things, immediately they look at me and they go, wow. Uh, I didn't realize I, I'm, I don't have anything in that department. And they know. I mean, you let someone get on their, put them, lay, have them lay supine and have them crunch up and try to throw you a ball. And they know right away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to discourage them. You want to encourage them. And if they're going to go swing those speed sticks or whatever they're using and it feels good to them, let them be. And, and you know, more than anything, the breaking action it's hard to have good breaks for the most part, unless you played uh, side on games, you know, whether you're a baseball player, hockey player, tennis player, most people in a rotary game, they learn the breaking action as kids, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't mean you can't teach it as an adult, but typically when the breaks are bad, they never did anything dynamic. Yeah. Trill, what do you, what, what's your take on that? No, I like I like all of it. I do I I like the speed sticks in that you get the feel of swinging faster without the psychological visual of the club there, and without 
well, the experience of the hit. So it, it kind of takes away the, it takes away the, the, the pressure of hitting a ball, but gives you the movement of being fast. Now, like you said, you're not going to do that five times a week. You're going to do it two, maybe three. And maybe, you know, the whole thing is 15 minutes, the protocol, but the real work is in taking the, the, your driver and hitting a ball with it and doing it fast. So you can find the center of the face. Like you said, if you, if you can swing fast. So to your point, I can think of another wonderful member who was swinging the, the sticks and actually his swing completely fell apart because he was just swinging as fast as he could completely went into extension with this pelvis um the club who knows who knows where the club would have hit the ball probably was about two feet above the ball to be fair and i don't think it really translated anything positive to his movement because his form was it, it had deteriorated so much so he's an example of someone that i don't think it really would help you know, unless it's done really carefully. So, yeah, I mean, I, I it, like the orange whip, for example, is one of these training aids that I love because you like, you can't mess it up really. You can't, but there are some training aids out there that you actually probably could get worse, you know, if you're not using it. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and to, to talk, I think you mentioned it, Bernie, but talk about the uh, Sasha McKenzie's, the stack, he and Marty Jertson. Uh, I've used that a little bit. Uh, I haven't stayed with it only because you, you really need to wor warm up and on, on my, on our busy teaching tea and minimal time, I got to eat my sandwich and answer emails. And, uh, but I've seen a lot of people get great results from that. But again, you know, there's a warm up involved. Um, you've got to stick to the program like anything else. So it's interesting discussion just to, to, I guess it's like anything else. It's individual, right? You know, and you're, you're choosing something that fits the individual and there's a lot of options out there. Yeah. And you got to um, do it right for you. It's sort of like a diet. You know, if I just sort of jumped into yeah. some diet, I, I could probably get worse. Unless I did yeah. it carefully with, under the guise of an expert. So I wanted to ask you all, uh, as we, that's such good discussion on the distance stuff there. I'm glad we, we got into that. Uh, but also a question that I generally ask the, uh, my, golf uh professional friends who come on here is uh, a very simple one about students okay uh and uh, truly you can start us off on this one what's the deal with uh what's your take on students ability to accurately and honestly self-evaluate uh their own games uh, because i find them to be as i've discussed on this podcast many times not very good at it uh so what's your take on that I'm smiling. You don't have video right now. <laughs> no, smiling. no video, but this is a, this is a hard one because like anything, it's hard to criticize, you know, it's hard to find your own um, weaknesses. And in, in some cases people are too hard on themselves and they, and I'm not even talking about golf. I'm just talking about life in general. You know, it's, it's hard to actually accurately reflect on, on where things are when you, when it's you. Um, I think generally, Golf is an easy sport to measure because there's so much, so much that's calculated in numbers. So we can use numbers in lots of different ways, and more, more so than ever, 
I think the general golfing public has access to all these numbers. I, I love Arcos and Arcos has a tremendous amount in there. If you're, yeah. if you're that type of person and you want to look at it, which is why I like Arcos so much, because I think it gives people an opportunity to see what they've done very objectively, very without, without any, I mean, Hey, you want to put yourself up against a five, you can see your strokes gained against a five. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's pretty that's pretty clear people often don't do that when they play golf people often will come back and say they felt good about something and so that that then is isn't a weakness or they felt like they didn't do well with something um so for example let's say you know they they had four or five four or five bunkers that that they uh, couldn't get out of and okay my my whole short game's terrible or you know i uh, you know, okay, but you were, you know, maybe you were in a downslope of the back, of the back of a fifty-yard bunker shot to a tight pin. You know, I mean, I don't look at all shots equally. Some shots are green circles, and some shots are double black diamonds. And you just hope to get down, you know, that mountain without crashing. Like, you know, <clears throat> some shots are harder than other shots, so you can't. I don't know. You you can't be too hard on yourself in some ways. Now, the other problem I think is people like to just feel good and they like to have that kind of confidence in themselves that they can do things. So that brings us back to a particular goal that someone may have. So goals for everybody have to be, I think, looked at individually. As a coach, I, I look at everybody's goals as different. I'm not working with a D1 team. I'm not working with a high school team that, you know, that have benchmarks they have to meet and they have, you know, performance goals that they have to achieve. If I were working with someone who's on tour, that would be a very different answer for me um, because we have to get places. But I think for, for the average player, you know, they come in and think, well, I'm okay with this or I'm okay with that, or I'm not okay with this. And you're like, well, <laughs> depends on where you want to go. You know, it, yeah. where do you want to go? And then, then we can answer that. Bernie, what's your take on that one? Great stuff as always, Trill. I think, Mark, you know, the questions you ask them when they come in to see you help you get to a place where you can find a little bit more about why they're there. And then most people that are insecure or tough on themselves about performance expectations are their biggest challenge and you have to help them understand what is realistic for their game. It doesn't mean you want to give them the reality check and, and, you know, be harsh with them and say, well, you know, you're, you're really this kind of golfer. You're not that kind of golfer, but expectations at every level can make or break your ability to perform, whether it's at the range, whether it's on the course in a tournament, or wherever you're, you're judging yourself or the player. And the most important thing for most students is to help them understand that, you know, just like Bob Rotel says all the time, golf is not a game of perfect. It can be sloppy and you can win a golf tournament. It can be, you could hit the ball great and not score well. I mean, there's so many different variables. And I think at every level, you have to identify with the student what their struggles are first and help them understand that might be a struggle to you, but it's only a small component of your score or 
what you're fixated on, you know, it's, it's fine. We got to work on that. But frankly, every time you get in a bunker, uh, you could lose three shots, you know, and we got to work on your bunker game. We can't just hang out here at the range, you know, and Oh, by the way, every time you are putting outside 20 feet, you three putt a bunch. When was the last time you worked on your, your mid to long range putting? I mean, most people taking lessons rarely work on the shots that save their, their game when they're not hitting the ball well. And as, as you coach more and see people over time, Anytime you get a chance to expose them a little bit with a skills assessment, I think that goes a long way in showing them where they are. But at the same time, some people are coming to hang out. Some people want to spend time with you or, hey, I just want to hit the ball longer. I don't really care what I shoot. I just want to hit the ball. Um, help me achieve a distance goal. That's I get that a lot now. I get people, they come in, they hear I coach the longest hitter in the world, or they see what I'm doing or somebody else, and they want to know how can they hit it longer? Or, you know what? I don't care what I shoot. I'm tired of hitting behind the ball. Mm -hmm. you know, can you yeah. get me to hit the ball first? So we get all kinds of different stuff. And I think uh, self-assessing your skills is tough. It's easier now, though, because there are a lot of resources. So um, I try to give my players a ball striking evaluation. Anybody new that's pretty I would say succinct, you know, somewhere in the 16 to 20 shot neighborhood with their ball striking. I say 16 to 20 because normally a new player is nervous when they show up. So they might have a couple, two or three that aren't so pretty out of the gates. But usually within that set of shots, they can see and I can see their patterns and something will come up in that conversation. Uh, but the more I look at golf for coaching, whether it's a high handicapper or low handicapper or just talking to tour players I've worked with, everybody has anxiety. I mean, I don't care what level you're playing. There are players out there that they look like it's easy, but believe me, when you talk to them about their game, they're just as uncomfortable as the 30 handicapper or, or the new golfer. We all have noise. So if, yeah. if we can get rid of their interference and their crazy thoughts that are getting in the way of their game and give them a, a plan of, hey, you can work on these things and get a little bit better each time, then then they're on their way. Yeah, I think the points you make there for both of you are, are right on the money. I mean, and you brought up expectations, Bernie. I mean, I think that's something that I've sort of tried to uh, temper with a lot of my long-term students. Uh, mm -hmm to use the information that's out there, you know, some of the stuff you see from Marcos and some of the stuff you see from, uh, Lou Stagner, uh, some really good stuff there. Like that, you know, they think, they think every, every good player hits it from a hundred, you know, 120 yards inside of 15 feet. And I said, Hey, look, Lou Stagner posted one that I put on my students site, uh, for coach now. And I said, tiger missed the green one out of five times from 110 to 120 yards, the greatest iron player, maybe ever, you can debate that missed the green with a wedge in his hand one out of five times. And they all think they should hit it, not only hit the green, but hit it close. And I'm like, look, <laughs> you, you, we really got to pump the brakes here because it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's going to drag you down because your expectation level is so through the ceiling. Um, so that's, that's, that's great stuff. I have a, um, I have a board on my wall. It's a big poster and it has PGA tour averages from 
from driver down to like three foot putt. And um, I'll share it with anyone that wants it. Uh, just shoot me a note or a DM. Um, I think more often than not, it's an eye opener for people to see that they, they their expectations are too high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, that's, there's so much information. Like you said, there's so much information out there now. We can sort of quantify it and, and direct it in the right place. Um, so... Talking about that and expectations and getting better and all that stuff, I wanted to put you guys in um, a scenario here. I've done this with a couple of the other uh, Teacher of the Year ones I've done here with these, and these have been fun. So I call these milestone golfers. And so the one we're gonna we're gonna talk about is a big one, uh, breaking eighty, and that's a big one. Uh, you know, it, it's just something different about going from triple numbers to double numbers but there's something special about getting to the point where you have a seven or less <laughs> in front of it as the first number in your score so uh bernie you could start us off but what makes the milestone of breaking 80 so hard for for a lot of players mark i would say breaking 80 for most players comes down to if let's assume their their ball striking is in order to do it, right? Now, when I say that, if you don't hit it far enough, you're never going to hit enough greens and regulation, and it becomes very difficult to break 80 unless you're a wizard around the green and with your putter. So, I mean, distance is important. So we'll just assume you have enough distance for the tees you're playing to where you can hit five greens in regulation, that would be kind of the minimum I think you need to do to break 80 as an amateur golfer, because unless everything is just perfect, it's, you're just going to make too many bogeys. And, and worse than that, you're going to make double bogeys if you don't have enough distance because the, the shots into the green are going to put you in places you can't really score. But let's say you have enough distance and I always try to get people to think about to break 80, if you can hit the par fives in regulation and somehow just hit one par three, just one par three, you got the ball in your hand, just, just one just, GIR in the just par one. <laughs> now we are in position, believe it or not, you can break 80 from here. If you've developed your short game skills and if you have good strategic skills, I'm not saying it's going to happen off of that. I'd really like you to hit eight greens. Okay, and I think we can grab a couple more on a short par four, potentially, because if you're playing the right tees, you'll probably have two or three or maybe short, four short par fours. I got to somehow get you more than five greens in regulation, ideally eight, because I just know probability around the green and we all make decisions sometimes that aren't perfect on the course. But if you can get into that mindset of of hitting enough greens and minimizing penalty strokes, you got a great chance. I think where people get into trouble is they press. They try to, you know, they bogey the first hole. Now they're, they're on a mission to birdie the second. And when they try to birdie the second, they make a double or worse. And, you know, it's a lot, um, golf's a lot more boring at the top than people realize. Because on tour, if they shoot 14 under, they can win a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And for those players, that's birdieing the par fives, grabbing a few more birdies to offset a bogey or two. But to break 80, you got to hit probably five greens. 
you have to scramble or get the ball up and down at least 25% of the time, and you're going to be breaking 80. Uh, but the, the dumb bogeys or the double bogeys, we're all going to make them, but we've got to reduce the amount we're making. And a lot of that is figuring out where they're happening. Is it a bad strategy decision, like laying up between 30 to 60 yards when you're not a particularly good wedge player? I mean, even on the tour, they don't lay up in that area because they can't spin the ball enough. And um, a lot of a lot of folks that I helped at my former location, Woodhome Country Club, where I had a bunch of players over 20 handicaps that I would get down into the teens. And then I had a, a good number of them get into single digits. It was a lot of times teaching them how to play a par four, like a par five, like, Hey, let's go out on the course. Let's hit to wherever you want to off the tee, where you have a decent chance to set up a, a third shot. Meaning we're going to hit that second shot to a number. I know you can put the ball on the green. And I would get them away. Woodhome was filled with uneven lies, and I'm sure you both have played there. I mean, you try to hit a 40, 50-yard shot on the second hole there, that's a hard shot. I don't care how good you are. There are a lot easier places. So strategy is a big deal, uh, but you do have to have enough distance to hit some greens. Sorry if I went too long on that one, but that's no, the, That was good, Bernie. That was good. And I, I, I always enjoy Woodhome, and that, that second hole is just killer. This is just just killer, Trill. What do you uh, what do you think about that breaking eighty? I love I love that, Bernie. I think I'm gonna I'll um, fill in a maybe a slightly different area of that, which would be kind of the mental space that people have breaking eighty. Um, you know, you gotta have a game plan. You have to have some goals, and so you know you have to have some strategy, and and that's that's what Bernie touched on really nicely. So. Then how are you going to how are you going to do it? Um, it? You know, I think you have to you have to feel comfortable with a couple of stock swings, and then and really let the, let those work because we're trying to avoid the blow ups. You can't you just, the real mess up shots. You don't have to hit it perfectly, but you can hit it sideways. Um, that's going to be a problem. You just have to keep the ball in play and relatively, uh, relatively good. Let's give, give it a, like, Oh, I hit that, a you know, 70, 70% of the way I wanted to, like a, I give it a seven out of 10. You like, you can have your personal best with all seven, you know, a couple of sevens. You can, you just can't have a bunch of twos so, dribblers or anything. So I think knowing your swing well enough, that you can pull out a, 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 like a, a good stock swing and make it work is really important. And then knowing when you're taking a risk, like knowing, okay, this is going to be uh, like a miracle if I hit it well versus like Bernie said, Hey, let's hit a shot that, you know, you can hit, put yourself into a good spot, take bogey and move on, you know, as opposed to let me see if I can bend it around the tree and get it on the green. Okay. Well, you're going to hit another tree and then you're going to have to get back out of the tree again. You know, like that was a dumb yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's, you know, strategy and, and decision making. Um, you know, there may be some there may be some shots that you just don't even you don't you, you shouldn't even try to play, um, it, you know, and that, that could be part of your strategy, too. Let's hit it to this. Let's hit it way away from the pin. But I know I can get out of the bunker if I take that line instead of this line. Right. That that, that kind of thing, too. 
um, you know, and then trusting it. I mean, I think that a lot of times people come in, if you knew, a lot of times people come in and say, well, it's, I'm not sure exactly where the issue is. It's sometimes it's off the tee. Sometimes it's putting. Maybe I'm not hitting it close enough to the flag stick. I find that most people who are kind of hovering in the eighties, it's like, it's a little harder to figure out how to dial that down where, as opposed to someone who's in the hundreds, getting them to the nineties is pretty easy. And you know, the nineties to the eighties is probably pretty easy too. And then when you start to get a little bit better, all right, well, is everything a little bit iffy or is something really solid? What's the iffy part? What's the, what's the weak link here? And you got to kind of make sure that weak link is at least strong enough that it can hold up. So you, you bring up the, as I knew you probably would trill, but you bring up the mental side of this, of things a little bit here. So let's, you can start us off with this trill because, and we'll, we'll touch on this, but this is the scenario that a lot of our golfers, and I, I've run into this with some of my students who are trying to break 80 uh, this year constantly. You come to the last two holes, it's a par 72, and you're plus seven, <laughs> you know? And it's like, how how do they stay in the present and make it through knowing full well where they are on the scorecard? If they make two pars, they're going to break 80 for the first time. How does that go? Well, the, I mean, the real, the real, psychologists in sport psychology talk about the zone and and being in this middle ground where you're not overthinking things and you're not under thinking things so typically at that point someone would be be at risk of overthinking they're probably not cracking open a beer and thinking hey let's just sail right in they know and the, the pressure's on the awareness is higher than normal and their heart rates up anxiety may be a factor so typically, that's a little harder. It's a little harder to play like that. And we all know it'd be nice to just kind of do what you know how to do and just let it happen. Um, it's a lot easier said than done. So lots of te- techniques that I think some people have used and other people have said that doesn't work. Some people have tried this and it does work. But I think the ultimate goal here is to not get into a place mentally where you're thinking about basically i'm going to say what not to do what not to do is to think about the mechanics of what you're supposed to be doing it, it, it similarly to the way you would have thought about them when you were learning them in the first place so for instance i'm gonna mm-hmm. i'm gonna hit this drive and i'm gonna really i'm gonna really make sure that my you know my trail arm is here and my weight's here and i'm gonna I want to make sure I get it all right. Yeah, that'll go well. (laughs) It might go well, but a lot of times it doesn't go that well. Um, So being in a place where you can trust things and you can feel it and you can be more, more like thinking outward about maybe goal, like I want the ball to end up over there, not how I'm going to do it, but I see it. I see it. I trust it. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it happen. That's always a good place to be if you can get there. Oh, I like that. Target engagement. Uh, Bernie, how about you? Great stuff, Trill. You know, getting people external when they're too internal is very helpful. Um, there are a lot of folks out there that they have a lot of conversation going on at all times, and they have to be able to shift out and getting them to connect with their target 
but also you got to be careful because they get very insecure when they don't have something to think about with their golf swing. They don't trust it's going to happen. So it's like a negotiation where, okay, I'll let you, you know, what's your swing key or what's your feel or what's your picture, whatever you want to call it, but connect with that target for me, you know? So um, there's a lot of different stuff out there. I'll tell you a story. A good friend of mine that used to caddy for me a long time ago in some tournaments I'm playing with him and he's going to shoot his career low round. He turns the front nine. He's one under par. He has never broken 76 before. And I can see he's keeping great record of his round. And I look at Ron and I say, Ron, let me have your scorecard. And he says, what do you mean? I said, you're not going to look at that for the next nine holes. He says, why? And I said, because if you do, you're going to sabotage this round. And I think that's a big challenge with people is they're always adding up their score. They're so aware of their score. And if you talk to great players or you listen to post-round interviews, they're always talking about one shot at a time, being in the present, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it sounds redundant, but it's it's how you got to be. So uh, rhythm and timing down the stretch, if, if you can get your player to think about music, uh, perhaps counting to occupy the mind. You got to occupy it with something other than what you might shoot or something terrible that just happened where they're trying to make up for it. And uh, Trill, you're, you're spot on with all your points on the mental side here because it's a big struggle. And Mark, you know, anybody trying to break a barrier, whether it's breaking 80, 90, 70, um, it's tough because you're so aware as you get close. So you have to have ways to occupy your mind. And sometimes that's going to be not necessarily engaging with the target so early. Like some people get to the ball and they're overly engaged. And by the time they get to it, they self-destruct. So uh, another story I'll share with you, Matt Kuchar told me when I spent some time with him a few years back. And he said, I'm like an old TV. I'm all fuzzy when I get over the ball for the first part of my pre-shot routine and then the picture gets clear and I thought that was super cool because he was keeping his intensity from going way up and everybody's a little different but too often we're trying too hard you know looking at a shot and man I got to do this or that or don't do this don't do that I mean to find your zone and finding the zone it's been debated for years and years in all sports but you got to find that place where you are able to get external, be comfortable internal, and have good enough mechanics when you do those things that it works. Because if your mechanics aren't great, unfortunately, they're going to break down under stress. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And the one message I'd say to anyone listening, if you notice your mechanics breaking down under stress, report back to your coach and yeah. let them sort it through for you. Because you know, it's sort of like, hey, you know what? Down the stretch, I suddenly drop kick my driver. Uh, gee, I don't know why. I was hitting it well all day. Or, you know what? I start blading my wedges. I mean, whatever it might be. Or I start popping up my driver. I mean, we're talking about totally different impact issues. But communicate that to your coaches because they can help you understand the adjustments down the stretch that you probably need to make to get out of that miss pattern. Oh, well, and I think, you know, those are great. That's great information. And I think it, it, it sort of 
it sort of goes to the whole reason I, I kind of started doing this anyway, was just talking about getting people comfortable with talking about failure, right? And, and understanding that it's okay. And that's where the good stuff is. And some of the students, as you mentioned, Bernie, it's like, they got to come back and tell me about their failures. And sometimes that's not easy. But that's how we figure out how to make it not happen more often and get them better. So I, I think that's, that, that's great. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me to watch people. I've had a chance this past year to play more golf with my students. Um, Cause you know, I'm not, I don't have a golf course on, on site and it's been really interesting. We play casual golf just for us to get out and have fun, but it's been really interesting to watch, you know, of course we're watching the whole time, even though I'm playing my own ball. Right. And that's like, you watch what they do and how they speed up or slow down or whatever. And, and it's like, you start to ask some questions in the lessons after it's, you know, their routine and, and having some sort of system to be able to execute shots. Some of them don't have that or they just, they really start to get fast. Right. And that's, that's something I think we have to be able to help them with uh, for sure. So uh, one question though, about uh, both of you brought this up, you know, in terms of mechanics being good enough to get the job done. So, Trill, you, you start here first, but when you have somebody in front of you, this is one of the hardest parts of what we do, right? Um, when do you decide when somebody needs to make a swing change? Like when you have to be invasive to a certain degree and make a swing change because the current level of what they do, technically, mechanically, however you want to describe it, isn't good enough to get them to where they want to be? Hmm. I like this question. I think this is really a really hard answer when you first learn to teach because you're first learning, you know, you're learning all these things about mechanics. You've read all these books and you're thinking, oh, I've got all these, all these ideas. Um, I, I'll call myself seasoned at this point. I'm, you know, working on the wrinkle cream and stuff. <laughs> it, I really have to look at who's in front of me and why they're in front of me and why did they choose to come to get a lesson and what their what their level of um comfort is with certain shots because what i would call a 10 they may call or i may call you know hey i may call my own shot if I saw that I may call that a four someone calls it a 10 10 being mm. perfect yeah and so you know Bernie you said you've got you a gauntlet that you put people through you you know he said 15 to 20 shots or I'm not sure exactly sure what, what your protocol is but but I do the same thing I watch people hit shots I'm watching their ball flight and watching their bodies and letting them settle down and letting their body warm up, kind of seeing what they do comfortably without trying to do anything specific. What does your body want to do? What is your swing right this second? And then what's your level of comfort with that? Are you okay with that, that shot? Are you okay with this series of shots? Are you okay with what just happened? And sometimes it's obvious that someone's not going to be okay with it because the ball's not getting in the air or, or there's a real serious curve, but I'll often ask people, you know, I, I ask people to quantify it. Give me a number where on the, where on the, on the range of one to 10 was that shot, you know, and why, and they can describe what, 
Oh, it was an eight. Okay, why was it an eight? Well, I felt like I, I got it in the air. Okay, or it was a two. Why was that a two? Well, it was a groove too low, and I felt like I got a little steep on top of my. You see, you learn so much about what somebody knows by asking them a question right off, off the bat of what their what their assessment is, and then what they're okay with. Okay, so if that's the if that's where somebody is, what would you like to see happen? Well, I'd like to be more consistent. Okay, that's what everybody wants: more consistency. Okay, let's just I'll settle for a narrower dispersion because right? there's no way you're going to be you know, a, a robot, but let's just say instead of the ball going flying to the right, flying to the left, push hooks, pull face, let's just, let's just get at least a more consistent, reliable shot shape. Do we want that? Yeah, we definitely do. Okay. Well, given the fact that you're true more often than not, let's say from the inside, let's go with a draw. Are you okay with that? Yeah. All right. We'll go, we'll do a draw. Well, you know, there, there's certain things that that I can't decide, the student has to decide what they're okay with in that then, okay, well, if this is what where we want to go, I think this would be a good idea. I think that's doable for you in the near in the near future. Here's what we're going to have to do. Your club is going to have to do this instead of that. So then we need to bring some awareness into what that club might need, need to look like and how that's going to feel and how that might feel if they do it incorrectly or do the, the crazy one. What's the crazy error feel you know, so that's kind of how I go about it, where it's, it's I call it collaborative, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of guiding the person because I've got the knowledge and, and, um, um, and, and education to help somebody with that. But we always go back to the goal. I mean, if the, if, if the student has set the goal, you know, with, with my help, then, then when the going gets tough, it's always easy to point back to the goal too. Well, wait a second, this is what we wanted. This is where we're going. So it's not that I've set that goal for them. So anyway, I, I, um, did I, did I answer that? Did I? Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. I mean, I think we, we always, I had this laugh in multiple, uh, podcasts with other teachers, right? Then we talked about that word consistency, right? And it's like, we all kind of chuckle and shake our head about it. And John Scott Rattan was on with Chris George with me and John Scott called it. He likes to use repeatability. Like, you know, they, we, we have to have repeatability. So, Bernie, what do you think about the whole deciding to make a, a change in an emotion, a, a, an invasive, we'll call it, change? Well, it's a question that comes up quite a bit, especially with new players. They, they come in, they want to hear my assessment of their game and if they should make any major changes. They want my opinion. And a lot of times it depends on their skill level. It uh, depends on if it's an injury situation. I mean, injuries are probably the biggest reason in my mind that you want to make a change uh, that's significant with a good player. Most, most accomplished players, they're insecure about their technique because they're not producing under whatever circumstances they're playing in. You know, so you could have someone who comes in and says, you know what, I, I hate crossing the line and, you know, I need to, to get out of that. I had a guy come to see me a while back who is a really good player in Virginia and his name's Roger Newsom. He won the Virginia Open Amateur. I mean, if you look at his draft record, he's an amazing player. And I remember him coming in to see me 
And he said, you know, I, I play with Scott Shingler, who you coach, and I and I noticed he doesn't cross the line anymore. You really helped him with that, and I want you to fix my swing. Because I know if you fix that, I'm going to be better. And I'm looking at this guy. He's a plus four, maybe a plus five. He played college golf with Curtis Strange. Uh, he's a really good player. I mean, I could mess this guy up pretty good. And he just said, you know what? sick of crossing a line. So help me. <laughs> so I, I was in that situation where I gave him my disclaimer. I said, look, you've got something in your golf swing right now that offsets you being across the line. And I'm like, you know, Jack Nicholas crossed the line, Freddie couples. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm tired of crossing the line. Cause he's like, every time I get out of there, I'm always at risk of hitting the ball a little thin. I'm sick of it. So we did some work. Thankfully, I didn't ruin him. He, he played pretty good after that. But I've had players come to me where, um, you know, they want to change, but they don't want to do what comes with changing, right? So change isn't easy. You know, people say, oh, we need change, you know, or we need change in the golf swing. I need, I got to stop taking the club inside. And, and if you show them, perhaps you're doing this because this is how your body can move right now. I mean, I'd love to, you know, I can clean some of this stuff up, but you got to do me a favor and do some stuff for me in the gym. Otherwise, your body's going where it can only go, you know. And so we have that battle. And what I would say is I don't want to change someone unless, number one, physically they have something going on where if they don't change it, they're going to have a recurring injury or add fuel to the fire with something. Um someone who's just so sick of a ball flight that the only way out of it is to reshape their swing because the way they swing the golf club, they're going to just keep hitting that same ball flight that they just, they absolutely hate. Um, and also someone who they're just not good at golf uh, <laughs> with, with anything they're doing, they need a change. You know, I mean, they, it, you could do whatever you want with them because they're open. They, they've had no success. So they need a map for how they're going to do it. Um, and I, and I went to extremes there, but there are people that show up that aren't able to play with what they have and they need some structure. No one's really given them, you know, no one's taken them and put them on a plane board or help them understand where the club travels or here's some pivot points and by the way, you're, you know, here's how you hold the club. I mean, it's an amazing thing to me how poor people hold the club for the most part. And, you know, while I'm not out to change everybody's grip or a lot of times I'll, I'll leave grips alone, but you can tweak grips with pressure points and just little stuff, teaching them some finger control that can make a world of difference. Bad wrist angles. Um, if you can clean that up, it can go a long way. And I think for, for most players, they need to know why they're having these chronic issues. So once you can identify, look, you are hitting this slice or this hook, and those are on opposite sides of the equation, but you're not over the top if you're hooking. The ball's not going left because you're over the top. How many good players? I mean, I'm sure you both see good players come in. They, oh yeah, I swung over the top. I pulled that one. And they've hit a sweepy hook left of their target as a right-handed golfer. And the more they try to come from the inside, the worse they're making it. You know, they need an intervention 
and yeah. it can be a lot of things, right? But um, the chronic, whatever you want to call it, ball flight miss to me, that warrants either a change in concept that gets their impact and ball flight better, or you better change their angles somewhere in the swing. Otherwise, it's it's Groundhog Day for them. And they know it, and that's why they're there to see you. Uh, but the most frustrating thing I think we all face, whether we're trying to make a change or they're trying to make a change, is when they aren't able to do something because physically their body can't do it, yet they still want to do it. They haven't accepted the body issue. Um, and, and Greg Rose taught me that a long time ago. Thankfully, I met Greg before he went out to TPI. We spent a bunch of time and he changed the way I looked at things. And, and I was lucky before Greg, I spent time with Mac O'Grady. I spent time with some great teachers and they got my eyes tuned into different patterns that work. But Greg Rose, what he and uh, Dave Phillips have done for all of us through TPI, it's incredible. Because you can look at players and, and, and show them a couple things and give them some encouragement. Hey, if you can go do this with a fitness professional or even on your own, uh, we're going to move better in the golf swing, you know. But at the same time, uh, we had a big, you know, we, we've had uh, for a lot of years early in my teaching career, the big trend was position coaching. You know, so people were trying uh, eight, yeah. eight steps. So nothing against that stuff. It's all good. It's good to know the P's. It's good to know positions. But people were trying to get into places they absolutely couldn't get into. And, you know, little simple stuff like, hey, how's your shoulder mobility? Can you can you actually externally rotate or are you stuck? Because if you're stuck, your right elbow is not going to point down at the top. Sorry, because if you try to do that, you're going to stand up and make three other mistakes. And we have to wear so many hats. But I think our players, once you show them and once they realize, hey, these are my ball striking misses. Or impact misses or this is a shot that's chronic under pressure um, once you take away their big miss they're all in to do whatever you want to do with them and and what i've found for for virtually everyone with this big miss whether it's hitting the ball way to the right way to the left way behind the ball get rid of that for them and then they're willing to do a lot more with us um, the hard thing is when they take a lesson they get the brand new new swing and they have the same ball flight miss. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I was trying, yeah. trying to do this uh, flex wrist at the top or, you know, I'm trying stack and tilt and everything I'm saying, you'll see great players do all these things, but they have the same exact signature at impact. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I also think it's frustrating. all that stuff. So good Bernie. And there's just, there's so much more around this too, that we could just go on. But what, What's hard is when people know what they're wanting to do, but can't do it when the ball's there. That's really hard for us or do it on the golf course or then do it under pressure. And so the, I think looking at somebody, I call it how much mileage someone's put on a particular movement. How, how many repetitions has someone done with this particular move? Because that's going to give us the answer of how hard it is going to be to create a new one. Right. And so I, I get the question all the time, how many repetitions does it take to, to, you know, to break a habit? Well, the answer, there's no number. I've heard some someone said 750. Okay. Well, it's a lot. It would be a lot, 
but yeah. it would be a, a really a lot if they're 60 and they've been playing since they were in high school and they're a good they're a good golfer like and to your point too bernie i, I had the same thing that he was like five time bernie tree cl uh, club champion and he had the guy didn't miss he just won it but with a 63 something ridiculous <laughs> and then he comes to me and his back swings too long and I remember we, we, we sat down and I said, you, we got to have a conversation because I don't feel, I feel comfortable changing your swing um, right now. You know, he played, played college golf and here he was. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> he was in, he was retired. This guy was pushing 70 years old. Forget it. I mean, for, okay. Forget. So we ended up not, I, mean, I think we kind of did like, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of do it, but I'm not really going to do it because you're, you're fine. But I think for, for, for other people, most people who are maybe in the developing stage, even if you are in the learning stage, there are, there are some things that can be very, very hard to do um, and, and know whether you're doing it. I think that's where training aids come in handy. You know, I call it the don't hit your bag drill. You're trying to change someone's swing direction. Put the golf bag, you know, strategically in front so you swing and you don't hit the bag. Okay, now can you do that with a ball? Like things like that, where this is like um, Mike Bender's Megsa, um, you know, right. traditional things that 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 um, that makes this the structure that you stand in. I think it's genius because it gives you so many different options as a coach to set set pieces up in the way of of a player so that they either get the feedback if they do it incorrectly or, or they get positive feedback if they if you want them to touch a particular spot. Um, and, and that's a great way to train, to, especially if you can add a ball with that. Yeah. And I think we're, you know, just to add on to some of the great stuff there that you both are saying, I mean, I think it comes down to the, uh, first off, you know, when you talk about golfers who are as good as both of you are talking about who want to make changes, it speaks to how, uh, totally mental, uh, golfers can be sometimes, uh, but also just, uh, you know, understanding that some of the golfers want to look at stuff because there's such an influx of information out there. They want to look at things from a stylistic perspective, right? And not a functional perspective. And I think it's our job at times to help guide them, hold them by the hand and protect them from themselves because they want to make changes that really won't make any difference and only make them worse. Um, so it's interesting to, to have that discussion, uh, you know, because, getting better is certainly not a straight line by any, any stretch of the imagination. And, and you can really get into a deep, dark hole if you want to go there for sure uh, in this game. So uh, I do have a question for both of you too, because uh, uh, Bernie, we were kind of joking earlier about, you know, your indoor uh, practice man cave there and, and uh, indoor practice just real quick before we get into sort of a rapid fire discussion to, to finish this off. I'm just curious about both of your thoughts, the influx of, of being able to hit indoors with launch monitors. And, you know, six years ago I was doing TPI and I remember Greg Rose standing in the middle of the room and saying, just wait, launch monitors are going to be smaller and portable and more affordable for the consumer very soon. And he was dead on, right? Like there's so many out there now. So uh, Bernie, what's your thought about, uh, you know, practice indoors? Is it, is it, is it good for people uh, overall or is there something maybe that that you know maybe there's an issue with it in terms of being able to practice in an environment that is clearly not uh similar and in, in, in all honesty to where we actually play the game i think simulations getting better than ever i think the technology is giving people feedback 
that if they pay attention to it, they could definitely get a lot done hitting into a screen or a net. I think the danger indoors is the player who doesn't understand start direction and or has any sense of where they're hitting the ball in the face and or someone who uh, just becomes someone that makes the ball the target. You know, they don't, they don't visualize any shot that they're playing, but you know, if you're creative inside, you can work on trajectory. You can work on start direction. You can definitely work on your mechanics in a low stress environment because you're not taking in where that ball went after you hit it. I think a lot of people would learn a lot better when they, especially if you're trying to make a big swing change into a net, it's probably your best place. It's the mm-hmm. safest place. I mean, obviously, if you hit an errant shot off to the side, that tells you things didn't go so well. But um, it's an innocent environment. You don't have all the noise of looking out and worrying about where the ball might go. And what you'll find if you do it correctly and you set up your space correctly, you can work on your aim, your start direction. If you have a launch monitor, you can definitely get some motivation on speed. Uh, carry distance, trajectory. So it can be really helpful. But if you're just hitting mindlessly into the net, you're just burning calories probably. And so that may or may not be the best course of action. The other thing I'd say is a lot of people that go to get club fit, sometimes they're getting fit into a net or into a SIM screen. And that's totally fine. But um, I find, and I don't know if you guys see this, but their driver fittings can can be a little spotty because they don't have that target stimulation that they would have. Um, and it really shows up uh, when I look at players that train inside a lot. They don't tend to hit the driver very well, um, not because it's fitting correctly, but the, the indoor environment's a little weird on driving. Um, I say that just, you know, Lots of years of, of, of watching people hit indoors that struggle with getting the T height on a mat versus the ground. But I think for iron play, wedge play, it's really good. If you are hitting inside, you might want to try a T claw so you can get your T height the way you like it. Because so many T's are just not yeah. user friendly for, for most golfers. I mean, the better the player, they can hit it off any T height. But if you're, if you're not someone that's super precise, woods inside could be a little sketchy yeah um and then last thing i would say is it's really important to understand start direction not that i didn't say that before but a lot of people want to hit into the middle of the screen and they set up aim as a right-handed player down the right side of the screen and they end up grooving a shot starting left um i see that a lot you know like for example great products called the net return it's awesome but when someone has the golf balls on the right side of the mat hitting into the center of that, that net, uh, they go out and play and everything's starting way left. Interesting. And that's a, you know, it's one of those things you want to make sure your mat, depending on the shot you're playing. Like if you were trying to hit a little pull cut, that's cool. But if you're trying to hit a little draw, you better get on the inside of center with your stance line there. Otherwise, you're going to get in some bad habits. Cool. Trill, what do you think? And simulators are great for the game. And I'm thinking of the of the number of people that are now able to hit balls that otherwise wouldn't. 
So on the whole, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a big thumbs up for me. Now, as a coach and teaching into one, I also think it's a thumbs up. We've got golf tech. I mean, how many lessons do they get? Like a million lessons. So a million, a million hours, I don't know, hours of lessons overall of people. Um, so now if we put a fine, fine point on this, I think there's nothing better than hitting the ball if you're trying to simulate something you're going to do in golf, right? So you can now hit a ball, a real ball inside. That's great. And I, and I agree with Bernie 100% in that the, probably the best environment you can practice a big change is into, is into a screen or a net. And I, and I'll do that even in the middle of the summertime, I'll pull people back in the bay, put, close the net down and say, okay, now let's do it. Cause I want you to have the ball, but I don't want you to be distracted by an errant shot because I'm trying to get you to feel something to, to make that feel and have the experience of the hit as opposed to just find, you know, the movement without the ball or a particular zone or area of the swing. So that being said, I think it's really great. I think also that, uh, thinking of one student I had who had a simulator set up and uh, he was a high school player and his swing ended up going bonkers because he was so focused on the outcome that he, you know, high school players, I think you guys both agree with me. You know, you could have a high school player that comes in and their swings like totally different the next week. And you're like, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Like, so true. High school. I don't know what it is about the high school. You love, love, love you guys. But um, so that's, that I worry a little bit about someone getting too carried away with outcome and just letting the swing go go haywire. Um, mm. So I like it if someone has a simulator to also have a mirror so they can you know have the option of give, giving some feedback if if that becomes a situation that they need to get you know focused on. Um, you know I was in I was in Carlsbad. Uh, last year and I went to the full swing headquarters to the, the full swing uh, that also does this the putting simulations oh my gosh so the experience of hitting and seeing the ball come off of the face into the screen was was like Bernie said I mean the technology is just it's it's getting so incredibly good um, I like having people be able to see their um, their stats too. So if you're talking about really understanding where path and face are, or swing direction, or trajectory, or or carry distances, wow, what what, what a benefit! Yeah, uh, well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think to, Bernie, you make a great point about the start direction. Uh, I have my swing cat in the middle of the room, so they stand on the swing cat on the force plate. And the ball's on the right side for the right-hander. And they're hitting it basically into the right-handed side of the net. So I target the track band there, not into the middle. And I'll even lay like a, a, a alignment rod or a big tube on the ground. Yeah. So they have to start the ball right of it. So they're conscious of that. And then we can also hit a shot the other way if you want. But, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that you make. Everybody immediately wants to default to hitting in the middle of the net. Uh, and I think also just talking from our industry side, right? Like it's been incredible for us to have the technology and the ability to do this. Some of it's not cheap, some of it's less so, but the return on investment, you know, the ability to, to teach enough to be able to pay for a track man and, or anything like that has been amazing. 
So all really good points. And there's, there, there's certainly more good than bad when it comes to that, for sure. I agree. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So let's, uh, well, let's finish strong here. I'm going to do a, a little rapid fire action with the both of you here. I'm looking at my questions. I'm like, all right, I already know the answer to a couple of these, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, all right, uh, Bernie, you, you start first. Favorite training aid? Favorite training aid? Yeah. Full swing or short game? Oh, geez. He had it. All right. Uh, full swing. For me or full swing? Hey, hey, Bernie, everybody yeah. wants to work on full swing anyway. So, all right. <laughs> no, I just, I, you know, that's fair. That's I, fair. I would say my favorite full swing training aid is just a i would just love to have a plain board for anybody just to yeah. show them swing direction well, well all right so you brought it up so what about short game okay um i i would say for short game a metronome mm, awesome and everybody's got one on their phone now so that yeah is really important oh uh, yeah i certainly um I'm taking guitar lessons, so I, I certainly know uh, oh, nice. all about that now. So, yeah, for sure. That's a part of my life. Uh, Trill, all right. So full swing and short game trill. So ah. go ahead. Okay. So this isn't, you know, training aid for me because I'd say my track man, right? Um, <laughs> but something, <laughs> something useful. You, you want a useful answer? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I got to say, I like that. I like that orange whip. No, it's heavy enough that people can't go flying, flinging it over the top, you know, kind of keeps things in plane. Um, it's heavy enough that it gives you a little bit of a stretch. That's all you want. And, and your tempo has to be somewhat, somewhat reasonable. So I think it, it, it does a lot of good stuff. So I, li I like that thing. Cool. Short game. All right. I love it. Yeah. Short game. Um, well, I love baby baby powder. Sounds weird. Um, baby powder you can use on the green for circles. So you, you get a much better idea of where your landing zones are or how close you are to a flag stick or if you don't have, you know, so that's that's really awesome. I also love my um, my uh, um, Ted Sheftick and, and Rob Neal did it. It's like a it's like a launch wedge gate. So mm -hmm. it's about three yes. feet. You just got to hitch some shots under that if you're doing some distance wedges. That's cool. No, I love it. All right. So um, what, <laughs> Trilly, you can start this one. What do students do that drives you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, they, they get frustrated with their, their expectations are higher than they're willing to put into it. That's the only, it's literally the only thing that drives me crazy. You know, when someone's like, wow, I'm not getting any better, but they're not doing the work. Like saying I'm so fat and then like chowing on candy. Yeah. You know, Bernie. <laughs> I like that. That's a really good drill. I'm going to have to use that sometime with the right player. I would say, yeah, great expectations when they don't want to do the work is a big problem, but just beating themselves up. I mean, I hate watching people beat themselves up and I'll call them out on it. I'm, I'll just say, you know, why are you doing that to yourself? Because that's not going to help. And I think more than anything, you know, just someone that's tough to encourage is the, is the tough student. You know, if you have someone you can motivate, uh, pump up when they're not feeling good about themselves or 
motivate them to practice and they're able to do it. But when you try those things and nothing's working, it's pretty hard to, to help them. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough. You're, and it doesn't mean that it's their fault. It's just they might need someone else to say it to them or show them or get them to experience something that gets them on their path. That's great. Yeah, it, it is. It is difficult when they head to uh, when a student has a tendency to uh, uh, default to negative town. That gets really difficult. You know, it's it's tough and it's a tougher lesson, honestly. Right. Um, all right. So, uh, Bernie, favorite major championship? The Masters. Drill. Yeah, the Masters. Yeah, well, that's three of us. Sorry. All right. Uh, uh, Trill, best course. It's a toughie. So it, if you get it wrong or whatever, there's no wrong answer. But best course you've played. Oh, Cyprus. Oh, my God. That was oh, that was quick. <laughs> well, I'd answer that one, too, probably loved, if I ever got loved, that invite. Loved every hole. And and I it, on the front, I hadn't even come to the, the ocean yet. I mean, I loved every hole. So the funny part about Cyprus is that uh, my, uh, my brother-in-law actually went out and played it. Uh, he, he, they're good friends with some folks and, and he got the opportunity to go out there and play it. He'd never heard of it before. What? He said, I'm playing, this, <laughs> I'm playing this course in California. He said, it's called Cypress point or something. What? I said, dude, do you understand what you're doing? I, I took a picture off the internet and sent it to him. And he's like, Oh really? I was like, yeah, really? That's phenomenal. <laughs> so unbelievable. Uh, bye Bernie. How about you? Well, I, I'm in agreement with Trill. I played Cypress Point, and I loved it. It's just spectacular. So that's my numero uno. All right. Okay, so the last one would be, uh, and this is sort of the whole point of it all, right? But um, Trill, what do you love about coaching people? Oh, I love helping people. I love it. Well, I love the game, and I love sharing the the, the, the success. And I remember early, early on when I was little, I, I had a lesson and I felt like it was magic. The it was just he told me something and it worked and in my game and it was just such an incredible feeling. And I, um, I just wanted to do that for other people. That's an awesome answer, Bernie. How about you? Yeah, I love what Trill just said. I mean, it's it's always, you know, just a blessing to be able to help people and do being able to do it through golf. You get to learn so much about them and share things with your students that, you know, our jobs are special because I, I don't know about any other profession where you can get totally lost in what you're doing and look at your watch and realize, oh my goodness, you know, I, I got to go to the next appointment now. Uh, so I love doing what we do each and every day. And we're, we're in a business of, it's like an adventure every, every lesson, you know, and, and golf fascinates me to this day and i'm sure um both of you as well and and we're just so lucky to be part of a game and a sport that has endless possibilities and so many golf lessons you know if you look at them and you look back on your really good ones they weren't exactly what you had in mind mm. and and that's the exciting part about it sometimes someone is coming to see you and it could be the most simple topic but they bring something to your attention or you bring something to theirs and it, it's a game changer and that's fun to be a part of. Oh, perfect. And uh, beautiful answers by the both of you. Uh, that's great. Bringing more joy to people and, and uh, loving what you're doing while you're doing is great. 
listen, I know you're both busy. Uh, I really appreciate both of you uh, getting getting on here with me and chatting about a, a wide range of stuff here. I think we hit some great topics that I think are going to give people some great, uh, great information. Uh, thank you both for taking the time. And uh, I can't wait to see you all in person here again soon when the weather warms up and we'll uh yes i guess trail it'll be warm soon enough but you'll you'll enjoy the skiing while we can right you'll enjoy it that's true but so, i love seeing you guys i miss seeing you guys it, this is inspiring yeah. and fun to be part of thank you mark yeah well thank yeah, you both thanks, mark. Bernie, great thanks. to see you both great yeah. to be with you both fun talking golf with you all right we'll do it again soon thanks so much both of you Thanks so much to Trill and Bernie for an awesome discussion. It was great to get back at it here and, and bring two of the best in our section and in the country together to talk some great ideas. I think there's so many great things you can take away from our conversation today. I think first off, that whole chase for distance is great and it can be advantageous to your game. But again, it's definitely not free. And you've got to have the right mindset and the right work ethic to make sure you're following a specific path to get the distance and take the benefit out of it. Also, breaking 80 is achievable with a good mindset, a little distance, a little luck, and a great short game. So a lot to learn from Bernie and Trill. Thanks again to both of them for joining me. Hope you enjoy the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo. And until next time, we'll see you on the Lesson Tape.